0: Are you remembering you were doing the introduction and you need to block and everything? Am I? Yeah, no. How do I do it again? You okay, no, no no no. All
1: right, all right Welcome citizen to episode six of Drock. I am Jeff Lester, and we are coming to you live from a uh, Geo Pontecarvo block to discuss Volume Six of the Judge
0: Dread Complete Case Files. Hello. I know I'm just really impressed by your blog choice. That's all. <laughs> Hi, everyone. I'm Graham McMillan. I'm also in
1: this. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was, I was going to work around to make sure that I got Graham in there. I'm like, I have to create a space for Graham to introduce himself, just as Graham does for me every month. But when we come to the drops we, like, swap off. And unfortunately, I feel like maybe Graham did it twice in a row. I don't know. All I know is I'm completely lost. But I'm lost here at uh, Geo Punta Corvo Block, where we will be discussing Volume 6 of the the Judge Dredd complete case files.
0: Graham, do you want to tell them where and when uh, that takes place? We are covering Progs 271 through 321, uh, which published in 1982 through 1983, written by John Wagner and Alan Grant for the entire volume under the guise of T.B. Grover I think for every single episode yeah. um, and the art is by a bunch of people Carlos Escera and Ron Smith are the primary two artists Steve Dillon does an extended run John Cooper and Jose Casanovas do short sort of two or three parters in there as well it's actually for all that it has a number of artists Smith and, and Escera really do the the majority of work in this book. It's actually surprisingly consistent in terms of art.
1: Yeah, yeah, very much so, very much so, which is funny because we say consistent in terms of who we see, but it's amazing how much of a schism exists between Ron Smith and
0: Carlos Esquerra, you know? Yes, and also... They do very different types of stories, which is something that I noticed reading through this volume. This volume is—it comes in a really weird place. Mm -hmm. We literally just finished the Apocalypse War; that was the final episode in the previous volume. So this uh, volume two seven one, Prox two seven one, picks up the next week. And the Apocalypse War was, as as you and I talked about, such a big story, such an epic. I mean, just astonishing story in terms of scope and ambition. Really leveling up, and for the creators as well. Like Wagner and Grant and Iscarrer did career best work there. Yeah, and it's funny because the idea of like how do you follow that up Mm -hmm. runs through this book Mm -hmm. like really significantly. You know, like, what do you do after something like Apocalypse War? The the various solutions they come up with, the various answers they come up with for that question mm-hmm. are really surprising. Don't mm-hmm. you think? Oh, absolutely. Very much so. Very
1: much so. Uh, Complete Case File 6 is, uh, it was honestly kind of a mystery to me because I sort of figured after the Apocalypse War uh, and people who listen to this podcast may know, I'm I'm pretty much a dread neophyte, but I have at various points had like digital subscriptions to both 2000 AD and the magazine. And I know as a general rule of thumb, uh, and even in what we've seen in the case files so far, when you have a big mega epic, it's usually followed by one or two Or three lighter stories, you know, pieces that are just generally a little bit could be not only slotted in anywhere for continuity purposes, but could actually be sort of uh, are more likely to run a bit heavier on the comic relief side of things. I
0: think in, in terms of American comics, we're very used to like the big storylines, especially for people who grew up reading superhero comics in the seventies and eighties. The big heavy storylines are followed with you know breather issues. Yes, you know you think of uh, Claremont's X-Men, you think of Wolfman's New Teen Titans. Right, you'd have the issue which is basically our heroes checking with their feelings. Yes, you know, and and in Dreads, you get <laughs> because the he has epics. no feelings. Well, no, but you get so you get the mega epics, which last you know half a year. Right, and then you'll get a uh, one part. It's basically a one-parter to three-parter mm-hmm. that especially, say, up through the mid-90s mm-hmm. will be something that is lighter and, like you said, is often comedic mm-hmm. because it is, for the reader as well, this moment of like, you know, hey, I know we've just, you know, in the case of Apocalypse War, I know we've just killed, like, 400 million people. Yes. But, but you know, let's just take a second to catch our breath. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Well, but it's funny because th- th- that doesn't work here. <laughs> like it's it's. Did you have that as well? The first story in this volume, the first story that immediately follows the Apocalypse War, X mm-hmm. um, City, is uh, a story about rogue robots. One of whom is is a wrestler who goes by the amazing name of Precious Leglock, who bullies <laughs> the other robots into creating a stadium so he can wrestle any challenger. Yes, and has to be taken out by Dread. Yeah, and you know, in the best of times, that's a silly Dread story coming on the heels of the apocalypse. Completely or, it's shocking, and it's by the same creative team. It's by Grant and Escape.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Well, and even more to the point, Graham, I would say, like, you have the Mecha City two-parter. It's followed immediately by the infamous uh, leak fatties. of Faddies, right? Like, the Funkus and Mushroom Man thing is is a three-parter that's not, not just com- total comedic relief. It's, it's not
0: just comedic relief. You but, know, this has more... Of a thriller aspect to it, yeah, but at the same time, it's a little bit overall. This book is much, much lighter up until you get to maybe halfway through the book, right? And so, I was going to say that for that, there is
1: really like four or five multi part stories until you get to Destiny's Angels, which is pretty much you know, comes in at like eight parts and is the biggest story in this volume. But A is the only story that tries to do something with a Judge Dredd sort of epic sweep to it uh, for the first, at least for that first half. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, I know there's stuff here, but later that kind of kicks in. But it's, 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 how do I put it? It's an eight parter with a whole bunch of like the return of Dreads. Um, some oh, of the deadliest villains, yes, I suppose. Yes. you know, It definitely
0: feels like an epic. Yeah, it uh, does. Especially in like the first maybe two chapters, it yeah. would not be surprising if that turned into like another mega epic of 25 right. parts. Exactly, exactly. So the fact it gets wrapped up in eight, but also by the same token,
1: it takes us something like, you know 3 months of of prog you know of progs to actually get to that point is kind of inter- I I think there's a lot of really interesting stuff about case file 6 and for me I spent a certain amount of I was convinced it was going to be kind of the first volume that I was going to give uh oh you can probably skip this volume in in many ways cuz I felt more than not it was kind of disposable comedic blah blah yes yes but i think i also think in a way and we'll get to it when we're talking about the stories that case files six to me may be the point where wagner and grant at a certain point drilled down to talking at least subtextually and metatextually about kind of like What's sort of their Judge Dredd mission statement? I think.
0: Oh, know? interesting. Yeah. I, okay, I'm. Yeah, go into that then, because I I have feelings that maybe run parallel to that, but are definitely not that.
1: Okay, my belief is, and for those who are interested in the full amount of you know full disclosure from Jeff, these beliefs are perhaps uh, heightened and. Um, By a certain amount of recreational marijuana. Uh, I think that around the time of the, particularly for me, the shantytown four parter followed by pretzel logic, um, all the way sort of through the end of the volume has a certain degree of statement about. Judge. Uh, so here's the thing: while high, I basically spent a certain <laughs> amount of time feeling a little agitated about, in a way, worried about about this podcast of like, is Jeff the hippy dippy bleeding heart liberal basically going to be the guy who keeps coming back to the inherent fascistic elements of Judge Dredd and and that that fine line that Wagner and Grant walk about how how much do they support dread the fascist i suppose like how how much is dread supposed to be deliberately a fascist like dread really does weave back and forth between hero and depending on how you view it like anti-hero but For me, I spent a certain amount of agitation being like, how much of this is just Jeff? How much of this is just me? And I'll be honest, Graham, there was a point midway through this volume where perhaps because I was um, not necessarily grooving on some of the comedic stuff and I was feeling like some of the more thriller epics while gorgeously illustrated and having, having fun twists weren't really... Floating my boat, and part of me was kind of, um, you know, I feel like it is one thing to be doing a complete read through of the Judge Dredd complete case files when you're in a country that does not have
0: concentration camps,
1: (laughs) as as opposed to when you do, right? Like, yeah, Yeah, no, no,
0: yeah, it's, it's, it's. I suspect you and I are both had that thought in relation to us a couple of stories here yes because there are a couple of serials here actually very early on the book Mm -hmm. where the solution is well why don't we just take all those people away by themselves oh yeah oh yeah why don't we like there's i mean literally in the 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 quote-unquote punchline the conclusion of the the fatty's story which is the second story in this volume yep is essentially fat apartheid
1: Yes. And it's followed immediately by Fungus and, the, and Mushroom yes, Man's story, exactly. which ends exactly. exactly the same way, which is sort of like, hey, sorry, citizens, but for the good of everyone else, you're never going to be seen again. And yes. that that that's on the one hand. So I just kind of had this thing like it's it's sort of a tough like the laughter catches
0: in your throat. You know, and And, and that's all the way through the book. Yes. You know, that that there is that comes up repeatedly in this volume. And that's actually the thing that I was also going towards. Right. Which is you get throughout this entire book. There are more and more elements of the judges running everything. Yeah. And just seeking to impose laws to make life easier for themselves. That's right. Yeah. You know the The Otto Hump story, which is completely a throwaway story, yeah, ends with well, too many people want this food, so we're going to officially ban it, but really just take over the means of production ourselves and right. then issue ourselves, yeah yeah, which is, is also like on, on obviously on a different level than than the the, the end of the fatty storyline or the fungus storyline, right but still like that's astonishing, yeah. Yeah no absolutely and so you for, know I, there really is and that's all through the book all in through this... the book yeah
1: and as far as I'm concerned for me there was the where really the meeting of me my worries the marijuana and the case files all sort of collided was in the pretty amazing shanty town four parter to me which is a seriously important but story.
0: ends with another breathtaking moment yeah you know and i honestly like that entire serial is wagner grant are in this era mm-hmm. uh like early 80s especially in this volume as, as we talked about like leaning much more lighter
2: mm-hmm. uh
0: but so many of those stories have a genuinely dark underpinning that's right like really really dramatically so right. and the shantytown one very much so because the shantytown one starts with because of the events of the apocalypse war, a kilometer outside of Mega City One, there is a Shantytown of the displaced people. Yeah. Who who are so live. Mm-hmm. And the end of Shantytown is well Shantytown's really dangerous, so we're gonna shut it down and the people who are still fucking alive are gonna essentially go off and live in a farm up north.
1: Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Which is literally what you
0: say about your puppy when it's dead. But, yeah, but, kids. but like, I'm not exa- I'm not exaggerating. No no no, are, no no. It's no pretty no. much like Mega City One has set up a farming development that you're all going to go and live on. And you know, you'll never fucking see those characters again. So for all intents and purposes, they're like they get the same fate as but, yeah. the fungus people, as as the fatties. Except you do see fatties again, so, you know, it's worse than the fatties. Right. I well so I, believe me, when we get a
1: chance, I would like to break it down at practically a page-by-page level because Shantytown is so filled with storytelling devices wherein you are made to uh, essentially side with the judges at each point, and yet the story has given you enough information that you are fully aware that the judges are not the right solution for the problem. Which, yes. And so kind of at that stage, and again, with this level of stuff that we're talking about, about things going on in the UK and things going on in the USA, the uh, a story, I mean, it's a story in which dread and the judges essentially occupy a shantytown to clean it up and although it's dressed up in the judge dread goofy way essentially there is a a rebellion there's a terrorist uprising to overthrow them and mm-hmm. so the whole concept of occupation and uh, uh, but you know Conquering, occupation, cleansing, and all of this being inflicted on the poor, with whom we've had, like, just the briefest glance of the deeper humanity in the characters. Like, for me, right up until the final page of the last chapter of Shantytown, it's kind of a ping pong of Grant and Wagner believe this, Grant and Wagner don't believe this, Grant and Wagner do believe this, and the, the last page... As as dour as it is, is at least in in a comic book hand waving magic ending sort of way, a far happier ending than the story that you're not getting here. Yeah, than than the story historically than the history gives you. And so for me there was kind of a point of that very last page in my very sweaty, stoned, worried way was kind of Wagner and Grant kind of coming out at the end of the scary pantomime of being like it's okay it was all just a show look we wave our hands and those people are saved and and now we're going to sort of go on and tell you I mean to me Shantytown the four part of Shantytown followed by the first two pages of Pretzel Logic are the biggest sort of build up of tension Tension subtextually and release, like, because at the end of it, I mean, I almost died laughing from the first two pages of Pretzel Logic. And I think that that, to me, has a lot to do with the buildup of Shantytown very much being a, like, you know, what are Grant and Wagner trying to do with Dread? And kind of at the end of it, they're kind of like... There really is an an element of we are trying to tell stories that uh, essentially amuse and entertain them. And those stories have these darker aspects where the judges are are literally fascist. Like, I, again, I really want to talk about Shantytown because the first part of Shantytown kind of unnerved me so heavily. I very much want to talk about it. And admittedly, it's important for me to talk about because a lot of it is, um, narrative misleaps that I feel like you can kind of only make when you're high and reading a comic book a little bit, you know, but, but I also feel like it might be a good idea to at least sort of briefly talk about destiny's angels. Yeah.
0: It's a very uneven, perhaps, Mm-hmm. Uh well, yeah. It, it definitely in terms of type of story, it's uneven. Uh tonally, it's arguably uneven, even though there is a strange leaning into the darkly comic throughout yeah. the whole thing. Right. Like even even in even in something like Destiny's Angels, which is arguably the most dramatic piece here. Yeah. You know, there are still there is still like obvious like dark comedy that runs through the whole thing. But it's not a bad book, or at least for me, I didn't think it was a bad book i I told you before you know we started properly recording I, my first read through this for the for these episodes for the for this podcast mm-hmm. i I, I fought through it. Like, it, it was not, you know, the, the last one, you know, you just sailed through it. It's, it's all great, but also you hit Apocalypse War and you just can't stop until you finish Apocalypse War. Yeah. Like, it's, it's you know, you just run through it. Right. And I didn't have that experience this time. Oh, but yeah. But in reading it, I appreciated it more and more and more. Mm-hmm. And I saw themes more. For example, so many of the Ron Smith stories
2: mm-hmm.
0: are variations on the same theme. Mm-hmm which is some criminal or group of criminals think they have the perfect idea to get around and try it. Yes. In the space of six pages, they'll be shown that it they're entirely wrong. Yeah. But all done in this very lighthearted way. Right. You know, you, you see things that it feels like it's it has to be intentional, mm-hmm. that they're repeating the same format over and over again with Smith. Right. But the Escara stories are much more world-building. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Even Mega City. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Mega City for all of its, I mean, ridiculous comedy, like Precious Leglock. Is, yes. Precious Leglock the robot, who who sings yes. in one part of the first episode, which, quick diversion, is very much a trick that um, Wagner and Grant did in Robohunter. Mm-hmm. And I want to say in contemporaneous episodes of Robo Hunter, mm-hmm. And in many ways, Mecha City reads like a Robohunter story. And in many ways, the, the Trapper Hag story Mm-hmm. this you know, illustrates reads like an alternate universe strontium dog which they're also writing and i wonder how much of that is intentional mm-hmm. and how much of that is like they're just at this point in their careers churning out so much content right that literally they're like we'll steal from this other series of writing for the two things as well so you know, that's right. just what we'll do but even mega mega city is the one that actually properly establishes the post-apocalypse war reality Mm-hmm. Like it even says, like more than four hundred million people are dead as a result. The city's radioactive now. People are being put into compulsory labor to rebuild the city that's right, you know all of that is in, in this really dumb two parter right about wrestling robots mm-hmm. you yeah. know, like dread has to take anti radiation pills, yes, at one because otherwise. He will fucking die. Well, he, he'll have to take radiation
1: pills. They also make a point to talk about that the, the weather probe is, is down. So there's like climactic conditions. One of the things that I think is really funny is the part of what they did with the Apocalypse War is they sort of erased the here and there conception between Mega City One and the Cursed Earth. Like... Yes,
0: I, I, I would say they don't do it in Apocalypse War, but they definitely do it in this volume. Yes, I'm sorry. You know, the point the, the, the fun- of the Apocalypse War. Yes, yeah. mm-hmm. the fungus story in particular. Yeah. The, the, theoretically, the bits with the people who who find the, these these spores in the first place and get infected yeah. feels like it's happening in the cursed earth, but it's not. That's it's right. happening inside the city, but mm-hmm. it's happening in the, the part that was nuked. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there is no demarcation point between that and the rest of the city, which is how people can walk in and infect other people in, in Mega City. That's right. And there's something about that that is is kind of scary, and also significantly shifts Judge Dredd as a series. Yes,
1: absolutely. Rather than, rather than it being like, because even to me, uh, Mega City, it's like here are these robots you know you you've got the wrestling robot who takes a bunch of other robots and they build a robot city and there's a, there's a way in which in the cursed earth there's a level of you have to come up with a reason why dread and the judges would care you know and here it's just now he's just on patrol and like you said the the concept of megacity the weird thing about this volume is Mega City 1, the place, gets darker and more dangerous. And yet the inhabitants of Mega City 1 in this volume get significantly goofier and sli- and,
0: yes. and comedically broad. You know, no yes. pun intended. I, I, this era of the strip is, for all intents and purposes, a comedy. Mm-hmm. It's just a comedy that is dealing with shockingly dark theme. Yeah, right. Like, really, really shockingly dark shit. So you do get things like, you know, even the fatties, which is, you know, the fatties is something you could not do now. You could not run that strip now, but at the time it was run, it would be seen as, like, the safe way.
2: Mm Mm-hmm
0: of of talking about bigotry and political activism and, and civil rights right because hey it's only fat people who's going to take offense right and you know now there's i mean there's no fucking way you could do that strip like the lead the leader of the fatties is called dick porker which is just yeah holy fucking shit right right, right. um but even that has like the, the big problem is food is rationed Mm-hmm. and these guys are eating too much of it and then they attack the food convoy that's coming from texas city because mega city one is starving yes you know right I, I, it's 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 crazy that you have these really dramatically terrible concepts yes use this fodder for like whack-a-whack like yeah I mean, completely Blackies has a they rob something and then they try and fly away but they can't because right. they're floater it's not it's strong enough to carry their weight yeah yeah you know which is like the most astonishingly broad comedic idea yeah but they're stealing the foods that is going to make the rest of the city starve yeah yeah no i mean again it's just
1: it's there's such a strange uh quality in it and like you said it because i'm not reading uh Strontium Dog and have, have actually never read uh, Robo Hunter, I'm really sort of behind on how the whimsy is sort of ramping up on the other strips. And so here it's kind of... Well, you know, I thought a little bit, particularly in something like the the Funkus story, about how much um... Uh, Dread is almost uh, at this stage of things kind of like this long running slow motion Grand Guignol theater, you know, where it's like half of it is incredibly dark shit. And then it's broken up with uh, whimsy. And in the case of the original Grand Guignol, it was like, you know, TNA and, and a lot of camp. I guess. And here the camp is very much in this, you know, super slapsticky humor. But at the same time, there's still also a concept of um you know, I don't know how to put it, like extravagant mortality, I guess, you know? So it's uh it it's it's quite a thing. And and I think the League of Faddies because it is so inappropriate now. And in that sort of way, it it's it's not it it's like if we were reading, you know, um a, an old watching an
0: old Mickey Mouse or Bugs Bunny cartoon from World War II, you know. Oh no, yeah, I actually had that thought when I was reading it as well. It mm-hmm. feels like something that should be published with a note being like you guys, it was the 80s, we didn't know better.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. We should have but we didn't. But because it is really in that sense, incredibly mean-spirited if you were think mm-hmm. if they had been really thinking of what they were doing, but of course that was the point they weren't because the cultural standards were different, but it is yeah. it is mean. And so consequently, I feel like I was a little back footed for a lot of the volume and some of the darkness had, um, I don't know. It, 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 it has a little bit of the, uh, is this f- like, is this funny because of the absurdity or is there a genuine element of cruelty? And behind that cruelty, again, that sort of fascism, that ends up yes, yes. leaving in the background.
0: I've got to tell you that I I think I told you this. Maybe I didn't. I've been rereading RoboHunter. Hunter. Mm. Uh, and there is a, a story I should actually see when it was published in case it was published around the same time as this. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a story in there that contains something that I genuinely cannot believe that 2008 published now Wow! without a note. There's no getting around it. It like it's outright racist Oof. like there there is literally no no escaping it right uh, let's see what year was it published it would have been published 82 83 so it would right. have been published in the same time as this yeah um it, it's a, a world cup story and there uh there's a moment where uh sam slade the robo hunter of the title is is hiding in a group of japanese soccer fans Oh, who are there's no way to get around it like they're drawn in an astonishingly offensive way
2: mm-hmm.
0: but as if that's not enough
2: mm-hmm.
0: Sam breaks one of their cameras and they all chant I shit you not Blakey Pentax oh no yeah. you know it, that was
1: actually mentioned in that's, that's actually mentioned in um, the book Throw Power Overload specifically mentions that in fact um, although interestingly enough, they mentioned it in kind of a it, it, it was kind of a oh I can't believe we did that kind of thing. But you know, yeah,
0: but like, I, I I got to that part. And, and Robot Hunter is we said this in the earlier episode when we were talking about Walter and we were talking about Maria. Right. Like there 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 is an element of shall we say casual racism mm-hmm. and casual cruelty in Wagner Grant's uh, writing robot hunters that ramped up mm-hmm. like there there is a, a continual level of just like like one of his his sidekicks is like doggy a mexican cliche robotic cigar who like just makes speedy gonzalez look like a culturally sensitive cartoon character right you know um and so that's always there but like that moment in particular i got there and i was like the fact that this is published without any editorial not going, yeah, we're sorry, well, is, is kind of amazing. Check,
1: check out the paragraph about it in Through Power Overload. And this is the revised updated version. Uh, Grant says he has never been a football fan, so it was Wagner's job to keep the sports elements straight. One scene remains fresh in his memory. Sam Slade crashed into a group of Japanese tourists smashing this guy's camera. Sam gets chased by these tourists who all shout, i.e., Blakey Pentax. Totally meaningless. Just sort of – just a sort of casual insult. So, unfortunately, just just so you know, like, it's being addressed relatively recently by one of the writers. Yeah,
0: Yeah, that book came out like two years ago.
1: Yeah yeah and yeah i
0: mean jeff it's not like yeah casual it's 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 astonishingly racist yeah shockingly racist right and so you know that that's that was in my mind when i was reading this as well Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. that you get things where you know the fatty thing comes up and there is an element of you know this was you know making fun of fat people was cruel was Mm -hmm. bullying Mm -hmm. but wasn't seen as seen as like you know racist or anything like that and therefore was quote-unquote safe Mm -hmm. but you know holy shit (laughs) right right
1: yeah no so so there is a little bit of the you know what kind of what's behind the good bit of fun um and it was something that 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 like i said i fretted about and i feel like to an extent i made a certain amount of peace with it because because like I said, weirdly enough, there was enough stuff going on in the shantytown where it ends up with a certain degree of, oh, uh, how do I put it? Like, you know, again, kind of the all in good fun where it is, it's a little bit of the, no, these these stories really... um, like we're 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 really not trying to argue for concentration camps. We're really well, not no, no, trying I, to, you know. Sure,
0: I, and you know, you you suggested that this was, you know, this volume basically comes up with Wagner and Grant's unified theory of the judges. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure it does because, like you said, there really is, especially in Chancetown, uh Are they for this? Are they against this? Are they for this? Are they against this? But also. I really think that Wagner and Grant don't have – don't agree Yes. On this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, think, I think Grant is much more critical of the judges than the mm-hmm. Wagner is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and honestly, I think that Grant's appearance in the strip brings a lot more of this to the fore. And honestly, a lot more of the comedy to the fore as well. Right. In such a way that I'm wondering if that is uh, – that's like the way of not facing up to some of these things, you know right right yeah no i i I think so
1: I mean again, I feel you know uh, shantytown for me in a way is such a turning point because it is the um it it's you know it's it's a narrative about uh, an occupation and freedom fighters but it's all told from the most propagandistic angle possible. Like there's elements of this, of this volume of Judge Dredd that just so reminded me sort of more than anything of um, Paul Verhoeven's Starship Troopers, you know, like, and, and of course uh, Dredd was a huge influence on Verhoeven's Robocop and the same exact same, team for RoboCop go on to do Starship Troopers, but Starship Troopers also be pushes the, um, a, a lot of, a lot of goofiness and a lot of the idea of like, Oh, you're, you're actually, he's aware that you're watching a pro propaganda piece. And by the end, he's making explicit that the people that you've been cheering on are fascists. And I think Shantytown for me because it's a it's a serious story actually for follows up with that sort of Ron Smith like oh and now there's you know once a month a bunch of criminals get together to plan the perfect crime and the perfect crime is literally getting judge dread to ride the wrong way up a one-way street exactly and have so to he, go so to he, prison yes yeah I I died, and then the second page is literally dread on this short alley, and this dude at the other end being, "Hey, dread, can't catch me, nah, nah, nah," and he just shoots him. <laughs> it's so stupid, and yet really funny. And to me, there's a little bit of the how do how do I put it? Like there's such an essential point reinforcing this especially again following shantytown which really does push a level of narrative uh that is alarming where it's kind of like don't like don't worry this is just jokes like i and not even just jokes like jokes are the jokes are stories with only one purpose essentially which is to make you laugh like they can make you think Or whatever, but basically the very, like a joke that makes you think, but doesn't make you laugh is like a failure, right? And, and so consequently, I feel like there's the follow-up sort of, I feel in the same way that some of the, the the first parts of the story uh, in this volume are, are this idea of this is just to entertain and to entertain you, we're going to take you into some scary places and And to entertain ourselves, there's going to be levels where we're really going to kind of fuck with your head in terms of what you should believe and what you should agree with. And yet, like you said, kind of at the core of it, part of it is we're just going to entertain you. And some of that's going to be with really dumb jokes. And some of it's going to be. You know, by doing a pastiche of Alien that is better <laughs> the, than most of the Alien movies to follow Alien, you know?
0: Yes. Yeah. I, 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 that's funny you say that because this, what's it called, the Starborn thing? Yes. Is is very clearly an Alien riff. Yeah. Years after Alien and yet years before Aliens. Yes. <laughs> Which makes you wonder, like, again, was that just on TV? <laughs> like I, I know something. Uh, for example, the the last story in in this run, mm-hmm. the the one about the Gemini space. Oh city. yes, yeah, yeah. Condos, space condos, or con- it's just called condo. It's called condo. Right, which is great. It seems like an Irwin Allen movie, doesn't it? That's what I was going to say. Yeah, it made me wonder: Was the Towering Inferno on TV for the writer? Like it really, genuinely did. And and you know, there's so much of that in these books as well that I'm like, okay. You know what you know. It, it you
1: know what it is. There, w- I believe there was an Irwin Allen movie called Meteor that came out later, toward the end of Irwin Allen's like disaster epic run, and probably helped end it. But I feel like if they watched a back to back viewing of the Towering Inferno and Meteor, and they're like, "Oh yeah, we'll just push it together," and we'll and there's something about the fact that it's called Condo with this exclamation point that kind of tips the game the starborn thing is fascinating to me because i feel like it almost feels like two dudes who kind of got high spent a lot of time talking about alien and riffing on some of the influences of alien and and just decided to go for it and and like i said really does a great job it's it's i think it's it's genuine it was so chilling that i was like oh you know I never wanted to read any of those Judge Dredd Aliens crossovers that, that 2000 AD did with Dark Horse. I would love to read them now, you know, because.
0: Well, uh, but also a good reason to do that is Wagner writes them. Well, that's it.
1: I mean, I wouldn't care if it was just the character, but knowing that Wagner's in there kind of like, Oh, right. Of course, Wagner and Grant really get alien. You know what I mean? So, so it's, It's a way for them to tell, like, tell the stories that they want to tell. And I feel like that's a little bit of what volume, volume six is a grab bag. But maybe because of that, it has the, we're going to tell, you know, stories that are, that, that will make you feel a little sick to your stomach. Like Alien, the, like the Starborn thing, or like the Mushroom Man. Um, we're going to tell you stories that are going to make you laugh, like the, like, you know, or make us laugh, like the stupid gun or the Gunge, you know. And then we're gonna we're gonna tell you we're gonna do a weird mix. Like I have to like the 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 humor at the core of the Last Invader is, I think really genuinely witty like i like that story but the 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 fact the way they bring in dear abby into that story and so i i feel like we should talk about it graham i feel like we should talk about some of this stuff more in general i feel like i'm just sort of smearing ourselves all over the place we we're,
0: we're, we're just well it's because i think you know you, you started off by saying i think this book has the the you know the grand theory of how Wagner and Grant see the judges. Right. And I think the previous volumes have felt more thematically consistent. Right. And this book doesn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that we're struggling to deal with that, to be honest. Well, I... You know, I, I, right. I think that it was easier to talk about the other books because we're like, okay, like, you know, book one is the first one. Book two is the two mega epics. Book three is very much world building. Right. Book four, you know. I, I But this one is the first one where it's like... It's a year's worth of Judge Dredge trips. Right. What's the unifying theory? It's a year's worth of Judge
1: Dredge trips Well, I, you're right. But I guess – and I think that's more to the point. Like I said, by the time you – to me, I got to the end of Shantytown, it was like, oh, like, this sounds really dumb. But it is the 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 point of Volume 6 and perhaps even surprisingly – unsurprisingly, I guess – after you have the apocalypse war which is the 20 part something like the i think the temptation in a lot of people's heads is to think oh okay now is kind of where judge dread becomes kind of a continuing continuity driven strip like they do an entire year of well sorry an entire half year of a cohesive sweeping story and it sort of feels like by the time it happens it 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 feels so effortless that you're kind of like oh they can do that there's there's a way in which you sort of this is what they do now now." and volume six is aggressively turning away from that there's bits and pieces and knots yes
0: exactly you, you don't tell us what judge <laughs> exactly it's so many so many ways yep you know it really in so many ways it, it is oh you think it's this it's not you think it's this it's not you think it's this it's not Yep. and and even with you know we talk about this being funny but there really are all these hidden darknesses in there like yeah. the fungus story starts off with the guy who can't remember who he is and he knew he used to be important yes and that's like story about like a, a you know a, an aside that is all about post-traumatic stress disorder mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. you
0: know and it's a it's a one panel aside mm-hmm. that, like this horrible thing happened and he would rather never remember who he was Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you know right or and, and that sort of thing is all all the way through mm-hmm. all the way through the book because they really are just continually being like judge dread is what we say it is right. which is astonishingly ballsy, but also as a reader, kind of frustrating. Yeah, no, exactly. And so
1: this volume is, I think, after the Apocalypse War, there's a, even the fact that, that the Judge Destiny's Angels looks like it's going to be a mega, mega epic. It seems like it could run on endlessly. And yet they they wrap it up in eight eight parts which is you know relatively concise just 2 months and then they're back onto a handful of other stuff and so it's very yeah it's for, it's a little bit frustrating for the reader you know we talk a little bit about the punkishness of dread and, and Wagner and Grant, I feel, are very super punky in that they. They're,
0: they're exceptionally contrarian.
1: Yes, exactly. They literally do not want to give you what you, what you what, want. Yeah, what you want or, or really what you're expecting, even though what you're expecting is based entirely upon what or they. What they've given you. Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. So I think that is that that to me is kind of this huge um yeah it ended at volume 6 in all of its frustration because it was so frustrating ended up kind of needing to be ending up being the key that I needed to set me free from a certain amount of you know this is this is the how i learned to stop worrying and love judge
0: dread volume it, you know it, but it kind of is mm-hmm. you know there, there's so much here that is just by the end of this you don't necessarily have expectations of judge dread as a strip after this volume yes especially if you've read the, the five volumes before this yeah because it has been shown to just include so much right <laughs> like it can it can do almost anything, right or at least anything that the writers wanted to do. There are certain things that it's obviously never intended to do, right? But it can be tragic, it can be comic. it can be uh, you know some of the best adventure comics you can you can mm-hmm. imagine. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's social satire. Right. It, it's political drama, right it, it's you know it's all these things at once. yeah. and by the end of this volume, the only constant is that it will, at some point, feature Judge Dredd. Right, and it's not going to do what you think it's going to do. Right,
1: right, and and right. The the only constant, like you said, is that, it, and Judge Dredd will will always be the same. Like how we see
0: Judge Dredd Wait, will yeah, change. You, you, you say that. Mm. Like there, there comes a point. Uh, actually, really soon, maybe in case files eight, mm-hmm. it might be in case files seven, even right um, where that's not true, right? Where, where you know things start to change, and especially after Grant leaves the strip,
1: mm-hmm.
0: things I was going to say significantly that's not true because the entire thing about Dread is Dread evolves, but he does so very slowly, mm-hmm. and because he does so very slowly, it's more believable,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but you know, the Dread of today.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Is, is a different character from the dread of these issues yes yeah 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 uh so, so that does change but again it happens so slowly and so gradually mm-hmm. that it's you know you don't get the american thing where like you know someone will make a life decision one month and the next month everything's different right you know brand state of school jumping on the point no that doesn't happen yes but dread does evolve it, it's just that and even, to be honest, even the purpose of the Dread Strip evolves. Mm-hmm. You know, again, compare the Dread Strip. Now, you compare the Dread Strip of the, the early 2000s with with these stories. Right. And they're trying to accomplish different things. Mm-hmm. It's just that, particularly when Wagner is involved, mm-hmm. what Dread is, as a strip, is is not going to conform to anyone else's expectations. Yeah. Yeah,
1: so I, I think I think that up to up to kind of volume five, like you and I spent a certain amount of time being like, you know, sort of when when is Judge Dredd really going to find its footing, kind of, or when's it really going to shake the bugs out, or et cetera, et cetera. When's it going to stop being quote unquote uneven, you know? And and I I really feel that that five. The, the apocalypse war and this follow-up is, in its own weird, completely scattered way, a mission statement. And that mission yes. statement is very much like, it's going to be whatever we want it to be, deliberately. It's not uneven. It's not, there's a week where we're smarting for story ideas, and so we just come up with a dumb one-parter. You know, although... There's ways in which there's a gradation of that, but but at the same time they're like, but we love those parts; those are just as important to us as the big things. So yeah,
0: yeah, and also you know the, the other thing that doesn't change mm-hmm. is again through you know uh, the early nineties mm-hmm. at least, basically through when Wagner leaves the strip mm-hmm. and then it takes over. I would honestly say there's also not a bad episode of Tread. There's not a bad episode, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like I, I think you you can be a of a certain level of quality. And am sure there are great episodes of dread, right? And there are ones that aren't as great. But right. I don't think you ever get a bad episode, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, and and I think that's something that is also like genuinely amazing, yeah. <laughs> you know that you, that you have a you know let's be generous and say like a 14 year stretch of a weekly comic, right? right? Well, where where. It's it's at least uh, entertaining.
1: Well, and see, I think that's it. Again, there's just that level of there's a there's a little bit of for me that the the ending of Shantytown moving into pretzel logic is the boogeyman mask being pulled off and them saying like this is this is here to entertain you first and foremost. If you're trying to figure out what the deepest level, the most important part. Of Judge Dredd is to us, it is literally that it be entertaining, and that, and I think that's why every story is entertaining, and it like that is first and foremost in its brain. Now, whether or not some of those things are, they're going to be entertaining to Wagner and Grant, um, and but they are skilled enough in what they do that it is. Mostly entertaining does us. Like you said, even there, even there, there's the, there's this, there's a few stories in here that are such joke strips. There's that one story that is, uh, right, right after the alien story, there's a, there's a one part story about uh, genuinely the world's stupidest guy who just causes six pages of mayhem and the punchline is, you know, the classic, like, he ran out of fuel and then ran back into fuel in a big way, you know? And that's yeah. such a goofy, shaggy dog story. But it's it's an entertaining six pages and then it's gone. So it achieves everything it needs to do. And that, like you said, that is that is a considerable achievement in a weekly comic, especially for as long
0: a run as this one. It's pretty stunning so let's actually talk about like individual stories there's too many to talk about in terms of like going through each one right so let's just talk about uh okay let's let's do the the jumping ahead thing normally at the end of each episode we talk about our favorite stories right i'm gonna say right now that my favorite story in this volume is the destiny's angels story okay all right, good. I guess I mean I'm guessing that Shantytown is your favorite? That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: But Destiny's Angels would be my I think my second part uh, my my number 2, although there is something I want to flag and talk about a little later in in one of the other
0: stories. But um so Destiny's Angels is a very I mean it's arguably the most straightforward of the stories here, right? Yeah. Because it's it's it's, it's a revenge thriller. Mm-hmm. And it's it's kind of, you know, we've talked about it be, looking like it's an epic Mm-hmm. early on and it really is like in the space of you know one episode and it's like every two pages in the first episode uh the thing comes back yeah then the judge child comes back then me main machine gets raised from the dead right you know and it really is this like it feels like a big deal it feels like oh shit yep. like all we need now is judge death to come back and it's all of the bad guys it's like all of his big super villains are back for this one story absolutely and and honestly it doesn't let up from that Mm -hmm. like it 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 manages to sort of hold that uh level of excitement that level of anticipation and attention all Mm -hmm. the way up to the end and like you said it's eight episodes long and i think if it was longer it would have suffered
2: Mm -hmm.
0: you know i i think i think it ends exactly when it's supposed to and honestly the end is relatively rushed like by the time that dread meets them it ends really relatively quickly because yeah. you essentially have like six episodes of lead up and mm-hmm. then two episodes of resolution but it's great it's just done really really well it's super exciting
2: mm-hmm.
0: it is tense it's very funny as well mm-hmm. you know they managed to convince you that this is a big deal that something dangerous is coming that this is a, this is bad news for dread mm-hmm. even as like you know, the fink is calling everything poison, yeah, and like paralyzing people. And Min Machine is headbutting spaceships so he can get to Earth, and then getting lost when he gets there, <laughs> and it somehow works.
1: <laughs> well, because I, yeah,
0: I I think one of the things
1: that is again there's such a um, a little bit of. Wagner and Grant and escara setting you up to have a certain set of expectations and then kind of pulling the rug out from under you and and I think part of that is you know again his the the Fink characters are weirdly you know one thing that i i I had a strong impression of that I hadn't really tracked before is um. Weirdly, Judge Dredd is is a little bit like Little Abner, you know, like that is... Okay, you're going to have to explain that. Well, so Little Abner is, you know, a, a long-running strip by Al Cap that, that ends up being hugely successful and it has a, um, it's basically comedy but it has strong elements of political satire and every once in a while it will have a strong adventure component, but the adventure component is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So there's I mean, that that's yeah. pretty much this volume of dread, right? So there's a character, there's a, vi- a quote unquote villain in uh little Abner called smiling Jack and smiling Jack looks like an emaciated grinning human corpse He and the Fink are kissing cousins. And Smiling Jack loves people, but only when they're quiet. And by quiet, he means dead. So he's like this cheerful messenger of death that talks about how much he loves these characters, uh, loves everyone. But in the course of quote unquote loving them, he releases a poison gas and he almost kills the little town, you know, uh, little uh, little Abner's town and little Abner has like all of its goofiness is is right there on its sleeve and the instant that the fink starts running around and talking about pizzen you know he's like these pizzen balls is ready for testing I'm like oh shit this is this is yokel demented hee-haw humor That is, that was basically pioneered by Lil Abner and Al Cap. Mm And so, so there is something where it's like aware that that's, that's who the Fink is and that's who Mean Machine is. And what's wild is how much, when I first saw Judge Dredd, he's on the planet Xanadu and he looks totally evil He's completely surrounded by this robot alien species. You know, he's technically, in theory, a slave to Grunwalder. But despite his seemingly omnipotent powers, like you expect, this series to all go one way, and it spends a certain amount of time going there, where it looks like Dread is basically. At being attacked by uh, an enemy that he can't strike back at. You know, because mm-hmm. because Judge Child is literally a planet away. And yet because Judge Child's um, methods of vengeance include you know, a rat wearing a tiny bowler hat. You know what I mean? Like, it, it almost to me is very much this idea of uh, like Wagner and Grant Escara being, like you said, this is sort of the more like Escara does the more world building stories, the more sort of in canon stories, you know, that aren't the sort mm. of goofy. Yeah, Ron yeah, no, no. Ron Smith it's true. stuff. Yeah. yeah, except here it's both, you know, and so I do think that there's a little bit of part of why Judge Child can't win against Judge Dredd. In part is you know, as he's told by Grunwalder, basically he keeps trying to he put he keeps pushing against the flow of destiny, and destiny starts pushing back, and essentially ends up taking him out in an incredibly kind of um, undramatic kind of way for the most part, and and so it ends up being there's a there's a There's just a little bit of it being like Wag- to me, Wagner and Grant and Destiny's Angels are giving you all this action and thrills, but at the same point, it's it's also ridiculous in a way that makes you think, um, you know, that's literally why Judge Child can't win is because well, it, this I, I, ridiculous.
0: Yeah, I kind of love also that. Judge Child is essentially shown to be omnipotent, or essentially portrayed to be omnipotent. Yeah. For the first half of this, yes. Because as you say, like, dread can't strike back at him. And part of it is dread doesn't know he exists. Right. For part of it, right. Yeah. Dread is just like, what? Like, what's Why was the think back? You know, who is coming to get me? But when you see Judge Child, you see him from his point of view, mm-hmm. and in his mind, he's omnipotent. Yeah. But you already know that's not true because he can't strike directly at dread. He has to use the Fink yeah. and Mean Machine right. and Ratty, right. and these are, you know, for all of their violence, yeah, these are not, you know, capable villains, which no. is their charm, right? You exactly. know, it really is that mm-hmm. that the, the Fink is in theory deadly, mm-hmm. but he will risk it all to go and rescue his pet rat. Yes, you know, right um, or like the sign of how inept they are yeah isn't the main machine getting lost although i love that i love that he gets to earth and it's like i don't know where to go and judge child appears and it is is you just i'm going to tell you where you got you've got to go you've got to go and get tried you've got like go where it's like okay but you've got to tell me because i'm i'm not getting anywhere right now i love that scene but no it's the great bit where Dread is paralyzed and is talking to Mean Machine yes. and says to him, everyone knows that paralyzing poison doesn't affect your lips. Yes, right? It's a great joke. It's a double joke because A, I believed it in that moment because <laughs> I thought it was a joke about how paralyzed people in other stories could always talk. Yes. And like a page later, it's trying to be like, I was never paralyzed, you idiot. <laughs> if I was paralyzed, how could I talk to you? <laughs> I love that joke. I love it. That is brilliant. That, yeah. A, maybe Machine falls for it. B, I fell for it as a yes. reader. Yeah, completely. It's such a good sign of, basically, Judge Held never had a hope. No, Exactly. Judge Child never had a hope and I think
1: in a way there is a little bit of the... How do I put it? He fails because in a way his judgment is bad. You know, but also how do I put it? Like there, there is a little bit of the I don't... I don't again, it, it ties back to a little bit of this feeling for me of the mission statement for, for Wagner and Grant. It's like no... Judge Child, who thinks that he knows everything, is just a kid. And his vengeance is not going to succeed because Judge Dread is a goofy comic. It's arguably still a kid's comic at this point. And, um, yeah, like you said, there's just jokes aplenty. Like, it ends up turning into a joke, which is amazing. Like, even in the same panel as that amazing thing where like the Fink holds up Maria like you you literally see Walter Mean machine hits Walter the Wobot so hard he breaks which is it's 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 a shocking moment you know it's but it's also followed up on the literally the same page with the Fink being like we got your wife dread. You know, and if you want to see her pretty little face again, because of course, as far as the Fink's concerned, Maria is so beautiful. Of course, she's Judge Dredd's wife.
0: Like the 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 fact I, but the that the Fink says that after he's been told by Judge Child that's not the wife. Yeah. He just he refuses to believe it. Yes, yeah. There's just such a weird. Um,
1: it's just, it's, it just always, like, even just when it ratchets up to the maximum amount of threat, threat, it actually then becomes even goofier than it had been all the way along. And it's pretty significantly goofy, you know? So, yeah, I don't know. So, by the time you get into that stage with Dread, supposedly at their mercy, you're kind of like, it doesn't. Seem like, yeah, the eat four lawman as Mean Machine charges at him with the machine set on four, and and him saying eat floor creep like it's goofy. I do, I do want to take a point to talk about the other part that I love is, um, it, you know, Shantytown is, is, to me, just really remarkable, but I think that. There's a bit in The Last Invader, which I believe is the story right before Shantytown starts up, where there's uh, there is basically an East... There's a Sav Judge, an East Meg Sav Judge, who does not know the war is over, but he's still in Mega City One. And he ends up fleeing and hiding inside a stadium, a jetball stadium, and as if that he he does this thing where he ends up hearing an audio magazine and starts listening to it and and ends up listening to essentially Dear Abby, which is Agony Annie, who's this one who, like, gives advice to all of, you know, people write in with letters and things and saying, like, Dear Annie, my, ha- my husband hasn't spoken to me for weeks. He's even stopped moving. Do you think he's stopped loving me? Dear worried, I think he's dead. Contact the authorities and start looking <laughs> for a new husband. And that, I mean, and it's followed by every night I dream I'm turning into a camera. What should I do? Dear oh, that the, the punchline that is so great. Dear Flash, snap out of it before it develops into something worse, like
0: that. So the whole you can tell that Wagner and Grant like were really like, they were giggling when they came up with that. Like, you know the they life. were. And the great thing is in
1: completely straight faced, you have this so, this, East, this Soviet judge, like this deadly character who's like holed up and is gone insane, literally, because he thinks the war is still going on and believes that they're staging. They know he's there and they're staging propaganda to make it look like, you know, that East Meg has lost. And so the panel where he's like, that Annie, so full of good, sensible advice, just like my own clone mother, perhaps she can help me with my problem. Yes, that's it. I will make a tape and send it to Annie. And so I love the fact that he, he does do the thing. She's like, she's like, dear Annie, I am an East Meg judge who's been cut off from his unit. My problem is... Do I remain in hiding or do I wage a one-man guerrilla war behind enemy lines? I love the idea that it's so stupid that he basically writes into Abby. And the part that I think is hilarious is she's like, Dear Nikita, I think you should see a psychiatrist. You're obviously quite insane. The war's been over for months. He's like... He, shoot, he goes into a huge rage. He shoots the tape thing. He, he's like, I trusted you and you called me insane. I have my answer. I will begin to wage war. And what's great is, so Annie is right. You know, like that's one of the things that I think is so funny about this completely corny situation is Annie is just like everyone else. She actually in all this stupid stuff, she is one hundred percent accurate in her um, assessment of the situation. Just absolutely not in the way that she thinks. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And so there's something but, but, to me but that's, that yeah.
0: that like, as you're saying, like that ties in with Destiny's Angels, right? Yeah, where where people know what's going on, but also are one hundred percent wrong, right? Right. You know, where there is a voice of reason in there right? that is so disconnected from everything else around it mm-hmm. that that's partly where the humor comes from. Well, but, and then and then in part two,
1: I mean, Annie actually literally shows up again because she's, you know, he, the Sav judge, declares war on her magazine and ends up blowing up her building. She survives and she mentions to Judge Dredd um, we carried a problem tape purpo- uh, purporting to be from a Sav judge trapped in the city and Dredd listens to it. And so, again, Annie shows up to basically solve Dredd's problem and Dredd just in the same way that she actually gives good advice to the Sav judge and he basically goes insane from hearing it. She gives Dred good advice, and Dred's first instinct is to uh, threaten to arrest her for withholding information. Like it's just there's something that's kind of to me there's there's just a comic sensibility in this volume that even when it's genuinely almost perversely stupid is so fine tuned to the, we're going to make the world's smartest stupid joke, you know, (laughs) like we're, we're literally going to make the, the goofiness of, you know, having this dude basically, you know, become so obsessed with dear Abby that he's going to write her a letter explaining his whole position. And, the joke that comes out of that is absolutely dumb, but is dumb in
0: so many genius layers. So <laughs> anyway. It's dumb so many different ways that it's actually smart. Yes, exactly. Which is kind of yeah, which is kind of the way that Wagner and Grant do humor very right. often. Mm-hmm. You know, there's the joke and there's the other joke and there's the other joke and it's one line. Yes. Right? Yeah, which to be fair I think it's actually also the way they write quote-unquote straight mm-hmm. you know like there, there are layers to all their stories right which which is what you know I, I for example you know destiny's angels like we said is can work as an adventure narrative yes but has this humor or absurdity on top of it mm-hmm. and then beyond that it also I, and i don't want to like overstate this because it is just dumb yeah. but it also has this this additional layer of free will versus yes destiny. right you know which one of the things i love is destiny's angels i always want to say destiny's child sorry <laughs> <and laughs> Destiny's angels doesn't fulfill its own prophecy for want of a better way of putting it right we never find out what what owen chrysler's vision actually meant yes right we never see he specifically says that like he sees and we see it Dread's uh, badge on Flame. Right. And that never happens at all. Yeah. So, you know, you can't even make the, well, he was actually foreseeing his own death thing, because that's not true. Right. Unless they were secretly, like, being super sneaky and it was his birthmark in Flame he was seeing. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, right. that's maybe a bit dangerous. Um But there are these different layers that are in there that, that, you know, it is the joke and the joke and the joke. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, the story and the story and the story Mm -hmm. that, that it's one of the things that makes this volume so enjoyable, despite it being so all over the place Mm -hmm. is that at its worst, it is one level of enjoyable, right? You know, at its best, it really is three or four. Well, right. And I think that's it. Like you
1: mentioned rereading this several times and the more you read it, The more you enjoyed it. And that makes sense because there really is the, those, that, that layering that goes on, even if it's just to the joke behind the joke behind the joke, you, you realize that there is, there's some pretty intense levels of, um, I don't know, cleverness or craft or, you know, like a demented style of, of genius, kind of going on there, that's, that's almost easier to overlook if you just read it through once and you're
0: like, yeah, this is pretty... Like, this, this is fun and fast-moving, but that's as far as it goes. Right. And then you come back and you're like, actually... Right. You know, mm-hmm. there, there's all this other stuff there that, that's absolutely fascinating. The one last thing I want to say about Destiny's Angels before we move on. It does begin with the, holy shit, it's all these bad guys. Right. And by midway through the strip... It's very clear that Think and Mean Machine are nuisances, but mm-hmm. not really a danger. Mm-hmm. But the Judge Child is, right? He's literally brought someone back from the dead, mm-hmm. okay? And he can influence people with his mind across the galaxy. He's a real threat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At the end of the strip, just fucking nukes him. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, exactly. Which is kind of amazing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That they do you know even though this is a comedy strip they do build up judge shell to be an ongoing threat and then at the end of this just Newcomb. yep and for you know long-term dread fans i know he comes back Mm -hmm. but still Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well no but
1: you don't know that at the time exactly and
0: And honestly i don't think they did either no i don't think they did but it's kind of Amazing to be like, okay, he might not be omnipotent, but he's certainly astonishingly powerful. He's yeah. far more powerful than any other threat Dredd is mad. Yeah. So oh. we'll just nuke him. Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. No, and I mean, uh, there's, yeah. I mean, I can even get into this whole level of Judge Judge Child is, as so frequently pops up in these strips, uh, <clears throat> a mirror image of Judge Dread. Dred's ability to inherently know from all of his years of training, innately who's good and who's evil, and his one hundred percent absolute belief in it, is kind of mirrored in Judge Child's ability to see in you know to see inside people's brains and influence them. You know, yeah. And so there's kind of this thing of like, oh, he's his opposite number, and then and then part of the humor of that is. Um, is, is Wagner and Grant just kind of blowing them up in one panel and being like, (laughs) teehee, you know, it's, it's crazy. It really is this, um, remarkable achievement in, um, the world's grimmest sense of whimsy, you know? But also
0: it's again, amazingly contrarian. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it is once again, we're the ones who decide what this trip is. Yes, absolutely. Like Judge Dredd is ours. We've just introduced this guy who could be the Joker to Judge Dredd's Batman. Yeah. We've, we him up. Yeah. Right. And,
1: and, and in a way, because it, almost because Judge Child himself, it keeps saying like, I'm going to be the one who kills Judge Dredd. And when Grunwalder says like, you know, if you push at the forces of destiny, destiny pushes back. And, that's kind of what Wagner and Grant are doing. They're like, no, get the fuck out of here next, you know? And, and it's, you know, not, not in any sort of like heavy, you know, author versus character creator sort of way, but just, just in that way of there, the, the part of judge dread is kind of the pulling of the rug out from underneath you. And yeah, that is that is that that is I think a more of a crucial experience for them. Which again is why I'm really why Shantytown was kind of a
0: big eye opener for me. Um Okay, so let let's get to Shantytown. Because right. Shantytown is I think, you know, really dramatically your the center of this book for you. Yeah, very, very much. Like so. like something that it that is inescapably the heart of this book right right so so for me part of it is
1: based very heavily on um, uh, part one and the expectations that are brought in in part one so part one opens with a band of smugglers trying to get through the ruins of the west wall you know the Dredd comes and essentially arrests them. They try to put up a fight. He guns them down. And one of the things that he finds is that they are smuggling in organs. And on top of that, an entire child. So Shantytown, which is this, you know, just barely a kilometer beyond the West Wall, is the flotsam and jetsam of the Apocalypse War. There's more than a million refugees living in a terrible existence that's run by ruling criminal gangs. And on page four, you get this pretty amazing sequence where this entire family is literally starving. And at one point, one of the grandparents literally, because the only way that any of the poor can make money. In sh- in the shanty town is by selling off their organs to the organ bootleggers that are the cr- part of the criminal gangs, who then smuggle them into to Mega City One and sell them at a huge cost. And so, so they're talking the idea of selling off the grandparents' body parts just so that they can have something to eat. And the father is like, "No, they're not going to want old parts." But we could sell our child. And so the mother, of course, is like, no, absolutely not. And the father's like, look, there's thousands in Megacity 1 who lost their kids in the war. They're paying the organ leggers big money for kids that can foster. We could live for weeks on what we get for Humphrey. The mother still objects. And then he says, and this is a good point. He's like, at least in the city, he'd have the chance for a good life. Food in his belly, a decent home, a future. Here he's got nothing. And the mother says, I suppose you're right. It's for his own good. And it's followed by sort of a, a, you know, two panels, which is a lot in a, you know, six page Meg story, where he, where the father, who we find out like has like one prosthetic leg and no, you know, and then the other leg is just not doesn't even have a yeah. prosthesis, and he goes and sells his child and you realize that the missing eye that he has and the missing eye the wife has those aren't war scars; those are what they've already like had to sell off to survive so it's it's a really grim setting for the first four pages to me you've got this is entirely 100% a sympathetic view of this family right you you see them they literally are presented as having no other choice they're arguably making the best choices they can not just to avoid starvation but to give their child a better life so we sort of flash back to the future where we see this kid he's you know There's over a hundred kids in this, this mega city infant hospital that have been coming in that are just the ones that the judges have intercepted. And they've like, we've let the pressures of work force us to turn a blind eye to Shantytown for too long. Chief judge, the times come for action. She agrees. And she says, choose a squad and take whatever action you consider necessary clean up shantytown by the way one of the things that we were mentioning again is i'm having part of the problem of what's going on with judge shred like again i know that it's a design thing but because i'm high chief judge is it magruder is that yeah yeah she
0: has earrings that are skulls, skulls and has had since the start yes and there's a reason for that Uh, which is what? She came from the SJS, Ah. the special judicial service where their logo is a skull.
1: Okay. So here's the thing, right? She's got skulls on her earrings. Thank you. She comes from SJS. There's always this thing going on. I can never not see the SS logos in Judge Dredd's eyes, you know, Mm -hmm. and- so this was pretty much the height of my disquiet Is of like, you know, to, to quote the classic uh, Mitchell and Webb sketch, like maybe the people dressed up with like skulls on their outfits are the baddies. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like that's mm-hmm. pretty clearly the imagery they're playing with. So the the judges ride into shantytown. They're like, OK, we're, they're getting notices, per you know, where they're like. This habitation now comes under the jurisdiction of the law of Mega City One. All lawbreakers would be punished accordingly. And the next to last panel is, but for Cal, Sherman, Granny, which are the family that we met selling Humphrey into slavery, the protection of the law had arrived too late. And one of the judges asked Dredd, what happened to them? And Dredd says, contaminated food by the look of it. So the thing that creeped me out about this, Graham, and it is this weird thing, it's like you have entirely that part, that those six pages, that thing of them dying by contaminated food that they got by selling their child is, it, it's, it's hearkening back to that EC twist ending, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, a, and this is where I started to get unnerved the twist there is very usually delivered to people who have done wrong and receive their comeuppance in a form of poetic justice. Right. And so, and this is the thing that is really weird is on the one page, they are presented absolutely sympathetically Mm -hmm. at the uh, two pages later, they are dead and killed off in a way that suggests potentially ironic justice, right?
0: See, I, I think you're reading far too much into that because I did different reading of that episode. Right. Which is there is no good option. Everything right. they can do is wrong. Right. Because they sell Humphrey, the kid off so that he can have a better life. He arrives in mega city one and he's one of hundreds of children. That's so right. he doesn't get the better life. Yeah. So they, they gave up their child in the hope of a better life for, for him. Mm hmm. And he didn't get it, right? And then they die, yes, because what they sacrificed was entirely in vain. Right? And the thing that their sacrifice got them was also in vain. Right. I didn't read it as poetic justice for them having done something wrong at all. I read it as literally there was nothing that could have happened. Like there, there's no good there. Right. It is such a terrible, terrible environment. Well, yes. That, that, they were just fucked.
1: Well, but again, how do I put it? The contaminated food. You're right. There is it's it's it is all bad, and this is kind of precisely where the rest of the story goes on to go. But how do I put it? There's a little bit in Judge Dread where particularly in this volume, where I had felt like because they kept going from crazy story to funny story to gruesome story, like this idea of it made me start thinking like, you know, a very sort of essentially ungenerous way is like, are Wagner and Grant just kind of quote unquote taking the piss? Like, are they just sort of doing whatever they want from page to page with this idea that essentially the reader isn't going to be paying attention, you know? And so I kind
0: I, of, I, I, I don't think so at all. I no. think they're doing, I think they are, I think, yes, they're taking, I think that's the sort of writers they are, right. but I also think that they are so, oh God, how can I put this humanistic kind, whatever, that they also, I can't divorce this first chapter from some sort of supreme sympathy of those living in poverty.
1: I, I see your point, but it, there's also a case that could be made of look at league of fatties. Wagner and grant are not necessarily that kind. They, there is no, an no, element of cruelty. That's, that's, entirely, true. To their that's humor. entirely true. So, that's entirely true. So, so there is a little bit, like I said, there's in, in this weird way for me, Kind of the, the there's that um, really dumb like there's some heroes or superheroes or comic characters where they have the little element that is forever unresolved that unfortunately more often than not comic publishers get greedy and they're like no 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 we are going to tell you the origin of Wolverine but for such a long time it was like you were never going to see that you never you're never going to see the thing that breaks Captain America's shield blah 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 blah. You know, similarly, I really had this thing of like, is the eternal thing about Dread going to be like, essentially, is do the creators have this vested interest in the law and order side of Dread right up into the realm of fascism? And again, as we point out, with Magruder, like... They are playing with heavily fascistic imagery, and it's it's clearly not accidental. So you move into part two of Shantytown, and like I said, like the way that it opens, if if you read it just as you think it's happening, like it literally opens up with the judges. It says the judges have come to clean up Shantytown, the lawless township that has sprung up beyond the walls of Mega City One and clean they do. And it has people saying like, judges, blast them. But what you literally end up seeing is the judges blowing the, the inhabitants Of Shantytown apart in the first four panels. Now, in the fifth panel, you find out that they are blowing apart the organ leggers, right? But it's not clear for the first couple of panels. And so, like I said, there's a little bit of the... uh, That's followed up immediately with they take their prisoners... And they walk them to the edge of Shantytown and tell them to start walking across the cursed earth. And they actually, he actually puts Judge Ox there with a gun and starts having Ox, like, you know, shoot. Anyone tries to come back, dissuade them. They're throwing out more and more people of Shantytown. And essentially it gets to the point where... They've thrown out like a thousand people. And, you know, it, he he says... He says, how many so far ox Near on a thousand walkers. Few of them thought they might sneak back. I discouraged them. And he holds up a gun and is smiling. Now, you can take that as... Oh, I fired warning rounds and freaked them out. Or it's, I literally shot them dead. You know what I mean? Like, and again... Part of me is, you know, as you as you and I mentioned at the very beginning of this, this is happening while we've got concentration camps in this country, we've got ICE raids, we have people who've come to this country being, uh, coming in for asylum and being treated inhumanely. So all of this is kind of pushing my buttons in this way of like, okay, but Wagner and Grant don't mean this, do they? And... And for me, from page to page, there's a, we, you know, like, we want you to think that we do, and then the next pages we're going to show you that we don't. But the fact of the matter is, is that by the time you get to part three of Shantytown, well, actually toward the end of page two, Judge Dredd is like, by now the element of surprise is wearing off. We can expect some retaliation. Stay alert. And sure enough... Dread gets ambushed and attacked by typical dread esque villains, but this is this again. This is this is an occupation, and these people are uh, on the one hand. In the way the narrative is presenting them, is they are corrupt. Like it's Judge Dread, like literally up against. Mad Mox, Pee Wee, and I don't even remember who the other... Girth. Girth. The other doofus. And then you've got the crazy-ass Juvedine and the Shanty, which, you know, like, comes out of nowhere. But despite the way that it's all being dressed up and told with sympathy from the judges, the the fact of the matter is, is, is that this is... This is a town that has been taken over and is being occupied. And when the people try and fight back against being occupied, like they are literally like something out of the Battle of Algiers trying to take down the judges and attack them one by one or doing mass attacks and the judges are gunning them down, like in mass. And one of the things I think is amazing is is that at the end of part three, one of the villains gets a stub gun, right? And blows through the little area where the judges have cordoned off. And again, like we're talking about the layers upon layers upon layers. The stub gun is a symbol of the resistance in the apocalypse war. Like Judge Mm -hmm. Dredd pulls out the stub gun and it begins, you know, it's this incredibly powerful gun that, of course, can overheat and
0: blow up. But it is a symbol of the resistance. And so... Well, it's it's, it's the gun that allowed them to fight back against silves. Yes, and, and, right. Sorry. It's exactly. the thing that turns the tables. Yes,
1: it's the thing that turns the tables. It is the symbol of the resistance. So in Volume 5, when... The Sov judges are invading Mega City One and Dred's holding up the resistance and firing the stub gun. He's the good guy. Here, it's a heroic act. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Here, when we have a character holding up a stub gun and firing it at the judges, they're the bad guys. You know? But the imagery is so layered. So for me. Like, I know what you're saying and I know what they are trying to present, but page in and page out for the Shantytown storyline, you get to the last part of page four where it is literally the judges standing on hundreds of dead bodies, like a a mound of dead bodies. And then the gang survivors are sent packing and it says, show your faces around here and you're dead. And as long as Shantytown stands, it will remain a magnet for the lowest forms of criminal life. I've therefore decided on a drastic course of action, Shantytown is hereby condemned. And the next panel is like, but what about us, the decent shanty folk? What will we do? And Dredd says, you've not been forgotten. 1,000 kilometers to the west, megacity food farms are now nearing completion. I've made a special request and judge, chief judge Magruder has agreed. All those of good character, an uncontaminated body are offered employment there. You will be given decent homes and good food under strict and ordered supervision. They screen everyone and they, they make it a point to say the screening is rigorous and fair. They even catch two that have strong criminal tendencies that are thrown out, but the workforce marches out on this trail and it even says that pe- that the people on it some are going would to... not make it. yes but what's amazing <laughs> to me graham is this is the happy ending and what i find fascinating yeah. is how much this happy ending mirrors essentially it, it, in, in a sense this ending is the most american in a way that well, dread has read for me you know because So much of America's problems were basically solved by kicking people out to the new frontier, you know, and then eventually we ran out of frontier and then things really started to hit the shit. But but what I find fascinating is, is right up until that last page for me, there's a little bit of, okay, so dread at every point we are on dread side through this entire story Despite the one... It's almost as if if you forget that one page about the family where you see them suffering. This entire story is being told as if the judges are right and everyone in Shantytown is wrong. And yet, you know that one page exists. You know Wagner and Grant know that one page exists. And so, for me, just as the story gets to uh, essentially, you know literally right at the point of ethnic cleansing you know they 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 lighten the tension they literally give you that ending that's like no it's okay the good people were going to take care of you it's incredibly hard and they're going to die but it's but it is it is a happy ending compared to what history has shown us happens when the occupiers take over and completely conquer an area and then decide that the people are uh, essentially too much trou- more trouble than they're worth, you know? So it's a, to me, shantytown in four parts is this incredibly, um, if you're giving Wagner and grant the, the, the benefit of the doubt it's this kind of amazing story that, you know, paying attention to it pushes you right up into the area of here's an openly fascistic narrative that you are supposed to root for the open fascists for. And at the very end, you're like, oh, but it's okay because these are made up characters and we can literally send them. We have a we can just pull a happy ending out of our hat. It says a lot about Wagner and Grant that that's their definition of a happy ending, but it, but it is one, you know what I mean? And then it's literally followed up with two pages of, oh, if we make Judge Dredd go the wrong way up a one-way street, he'll go to prison and he'll never be a problem for us again, you know?
0: Well, but for example, following up with, with um, the, the comedy strip afterwards is Megacity, one follow, Megacity following Apocalypse War for me. Right. Like it's, it's doing exactly the same thing. Exactly. There, there, so there's a lot to unpack in what you just said. <laughs> yes. I appreciate you letting um,
1: me get through it because I know that it took some convoluted turns of thought, but yes.
0: When I talked about uh, Wacken and Grant, me thinking they're more humanistic, part of that is informed by the 13th floor of the strip they did for Eagle and Scream. Mm-hmm. Uh, that it's actually, if you like the EC comic, like twists, poetic justice thing, right. holy shit, that is your comic. Like yeah, yeah, very yeah. much so. It is, it is Wrath of the Spectre shit. Mm-hmm. But also it is a strip that, from my reading at least, is very aggressively um, people living in poverty or near poverty are continually just fucked by the system and the system is entirely unfair. And unless an outside force acts, they will be hurt. Right. And the thirteenth floor in the strip is the is the outside is the force. Outside force yeah. Like who continually just comes in and is like, you're like whatever, you're the tax man, you're uh you, you know, you're a debtor, you're whatever, I will punish you and save right. these people. Right. Um that's explicitly the concept of the, the strip. That's great. Um but I think that humanistic element only applies to that family in Shantytown. Mm -hmm. I think Shantytown is one of many strips in this volume about the judges' overreach. Mm -hmm. And I think Mm -hmm. the fact that even Magruder is like, Shantytown's a problem, just basically take care of it. I don't care what you do. Right. Shows how, like I think in that last page of the first episode, even before you get to, oh, the family's dead. Mm -hmm. It shows how inhuman the judges are. And how for one of a better way of putting it like evil they are
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, uh, or because it's not corrupt it's not because it's not really moral, mm-hmm. but it's also not immoral, it's immoral right you know it's, it's, and that's that's a, a running theme through this volume. Mm-hmm. There's something that is a problem for us mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so we will just do something to shut down the problem right we're not dealing with the source of the problem at all. Mm -hmm. just outlawing the problem or we're killing the problem or we're buying the problem and then reissuing it under a different name because we decided the name is the problem. Right. Right? And so Shantytown is... We don't like Shantytown. It's bringing things we don't like into the city. We could fix it. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: But we'd rather just go in and destroy it. Right. Right. So the entire story is it's not just that it's an insurgency narrative. It's an invasion narrative. And the judges... Who we're rooting for purely because it's the title character of the strip. Mm-hmm. His entire job is to be an invading force. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I, you root for him again. His name's in the strip, mm-hmm. and you are given cartoon villains who are quote unquote worse, right? But and, and you know they are worse. You know they're they're organ bootleggers. They you know they're they're they are not good people. Right. But at the same time, they're dealt with by page four in episode two, mm-hmm. you know, and then they come back because the judges are still, the judges aren't there to stop things, to stop the criminals. The judges there to stop the town. Yeah. Well, again, yeah, the,
1: this, the, how do I put it? So there is the, there's, There is levels in which Shantytown, again, part of why I thought of something like Verhoeven's Starship Troopers, is the entire story is being told almost ironically, as opposed to the very end where you're given the key to that, however. You're actually given the key to it relatively early, I think, with that page with the fucked family, you know? But... But how that fucked family is treated and regarded to me has a lot of ambiguity literally right up into the last page. Like the when the people who show up and are like, but what about us, the innocent folk, right? Those innocent folk, like in most other how do I put it, touchy feely liberal wet blankety type stories written by I don't know someone like me or Marv Wolfman or something like that you would have the 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 adorable kid with the puppy going like but who's gonna watch out for us judge you know like on one panel of every installment and part of what Wagner and Grant do is they remove that and it is a little bit of the are you paying attention are they paying attention you know, as I feel, they accelerate, and like you said, it's you because you've read the Thirteenth Floor, which is outside of this narrative, but other works by them, it's easier for you to ascribe this humanistic principle. But for me, the place in my life where I was considering this started out with the League of Fatties. Well, we've
0: got, yeah. I mean, the, the problem is, Dread is a like intentionally skewed narrative. Exactly right. If right. That's all you're going to read right. of Wagner and Grant. You are of course going to come away with different uh, takes. Right. Well, because but... that's the, like that's the, the the framework of this of the this of the text. Right. right. But I guess what I'm saying is is like I said in the the sense that
1: I had a oh this is what they're doing with Judge Dredd in volume 6, a lot of that is like you said some of it is the the critique of the judges while it's you know, while it's happening and while it's laying out. Um, I think there's that if you have a larger sense of Wagner and Grant and dread from the end I, on back. But I yeah, also, also think... Like a
0: critique of the judges is really, like, it's a stretch. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, at no right. point in the narrative it, are they actually critiqued. Right. Like, the critique comes from me, the reader. Right, exactly. going, that's a bit far. There's well, nothing right. in the stories to say these guys are doing bad things. Exactly. So
1: when you look at it, like precisely the level of it becomes the well so how much are Wagner and Grant because it's not being critiqued in the story it's the critique that you bring to it you're like you know it's almost like to what extent are Wagner and Grant in on the joke sort of is very much I feel laid out in Shantytown by the end of Shantytown there to me was that happy ending is as much Wagner and Grant being like no 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 don't worry. We like we are humanists underneath this weird arch conservative mask and the tension of making of making you worry how much dread is fascist or fascistic to me and how far Wagner and Grant Push It is very much done in the sort of style of tension and release that you get from, you know, again, kind of a good joke, you know. And so following it up with the joke strip does, like you said, on the one hand, it alleviates some of the tension from a story. But Shantytown on the surface of it, if you're not concerned about the political ramifications of it, is really barely anything more than, you know, uh, very much dread in the Western mode of, we're going to clean up this bad town, you know, that is the default of, of innumerable Westerns. It's just that Wagner and Grant know to push it more because they understand what's underneath that, that we're cleaning up, the, the you know, the irredeemable town is a shorthand for the ethnic cleansing of the Old West, of the American
0: West. And I and like that's very clear in the strip. Like think of the page in the last episode where they say it looks like we've won. And they're literally standing on a pile on of On a harms. mound of bodies. Exactly. Exactly. Like, the, like it, it's not in the least bit subtle. It's, right, it's it's clearly there. What's funny to me is you keep talking about the end as a happy ending, and I don't see it's a happy ending at all.
1: Well, because for me, the happy ending is that. I mean, it's a it's a Dower Wagner Grant happy ending, but for me, the happy ending is very much the um, how do I put it? If you take the like like you said, you put the human value into. When you see the judges standing on mounds of bodies, like you said, you and I see ethnic cleansing, someone else sees a Frank Frazetta painting. You know what I mean? Well, exactly. Someone else just sees, like, they've won. Right. And cool. They're such kickasses. you know? And so there's a little bit of Wagner and Grant play with the idea of – of – of – of – Teasing you like they are succumbing to their worst impulses and or if you take dread at face value. And the thing is, is that Wagner and Grant do, I feel, do things at that sub-structured level to let you know that they don't take dread at, at a face value. So for me, the ending is a happy ending because it's... It, it literally remembers who has been forgotten. It's not – it is not a classic tale of ethnic cleansing. It's literally a – no, 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 no. There were good guys. There were bad guys. We remember the good guys and they they have an opportunity to have a better life, right?
0: Which is – An again, opportunity that, that explicitly says in the text is some to make it to. Well, like, of course. It is, like it is – the most, uh, uh, you know, happy ending with an asterisk. Yes, you know, absolutely. Where it's like uh, happy-ish. Uh, it, but it's funny you you talking about like the, the westerns and everything reminded me of there was a, a dried spin-off strip
2: mm-hmm.
0: called the Hell Trackers, oh, which right. is a, like a group going across the the cursed earth to to make it to like the new land. Yes. Um, and that's very much what the end of this is as well, right? Mm-hmm. It's 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 westward expansion. Yeah, right. Exactly. It's like it. It's the well, they get to be pioneers, but it's again, it's not a happy ending because if it was a happy ending, they'd be allowed into Mega City One, which is a kilometer away. Right.
1: No, 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 no. Absolutely. Except the, in quote unquote, in theory mega city one is so overtaxed and overburdened because itself is it's been
0: damaged sure. right? De- decimated by the war right but I, you know again if you take that reading, why is the overtaxed judge judge the uh, justice department going outside of mega city one to shut down a town in the first place no I agree you I know mean... like there, it, there's it's it it's Again, I'm putting so much onto the story. Like, right. I'm adding so much to the text. Mm-hmm. To be like, well, it's not a happy ending because if you think it through, like, they're literally just getting rid of the problem, which is what they're doing all throughout the book. Right. right? Well, we don't like this. We're going to hide it. Well, right. But see,
1: how do you I know, put it's, it? It's,
0: the fat, it's what they do to the fatties. It's what they do right. to the uh, fungus people. It's the same thing. It's Well, except these the people... undesirable element. Right.
1: And so they get rid of them. Right. Uh, the different – so – and this is the weird thing. The strange difference between westward expansion in Guantanamo Bay is is that you don't know – you don't know what's happening to the people out on the frontier and they also do have the freedom to, quote, unquote, make their own life. Like for better or for worse, me growing up as an American sees – the idea of like, oh, these people get a new start. Like the pe- the fatties, the mushroom people, they don't get a new I start. Mean, they... no, the mushroom people
0: are actually going to die. Yeah. We they're... know that. The story right. has made it very clear that there's a limited time frame before they die. Yeah. But the fatties are literally just put into their own blocks. They're not even locked away anywhere. That's right. They can, they can roam around the city. They're just put into their own blocks. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Whereas the people from Shantytown are literally sent into the cursed earth to walk to a farm that may or may not exist. <laughs>
1: well, I believe that I believe that it exists.
0: Cause but I, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like as someone who's read the rest of the stories in this volume and is very cynical about this right. shit no. because of the stories in this volume, part of me is like, how do I know they're not just walking them into nothing? Well, that's actually a really good point because this is sort of a, comic
1: because it's a comic book ending and because in other parts of the story how do I put it 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 would be one thing because dread believes it you you know that it's really true
0: yeah you well or unless he's lying well which again Dread does. Uh,
1: he doesn't do that much, or we're shown to be in it. Really, it's more that he, he would. I feel it's more that he wouldn't know what's going on. But I could. I could be wrong. Like, I mean, he could be saying. But generally, dread is is. You don't is... think
0: dread would be complicit in genocide? Is what you're saying, or minor genocide, well, shanty genocide?
1: Well, no, 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 no. I mean, that's the whole point of that's part but of no, why I found rather... the story horrifying. You think
0: you... You think he would be – you don't think he'd be complicit in uh, hidden genocide? Yes. You think he would just, I write, say, I'm marching you out into the car to die, as opposed to, you guys, there's a farm upstate.
1: Yes, exactly, because I honestly believe – it also helps that, cap, you know, in a way, the captions say it, and again, everything gets reinforced, but the re- mm. part reason, you have every reason to be cynical, Graham, because that's not how history works out. You know, but this is very much Wagner and Grant, very I, I, sophisticatedly playing with expectations, reality, and ultimately comedy. Ultimately, comic bookiness. You know, which yeah, is yeah, why it, it, there's so just, much
0: goofiness throughout this. You know, well, I, I, the other thing that's super strange about the end of Shantytown Town is uh, whether you are me and you think it's incredibly cynical, and they're being marched out into nothing. Or you're you when you think that it is a qualified happy ending where they theoretically are actually getting going to a new life, the ones who make it. Yeah. The last panel is Shantstone Burning. Yes. And there's no real reason to put that in other than to remind you of what has just happened in the rest of the story.
1: Yeah. Do
0: you well, know what I mean? Like the narrative could end with everyone wandering off to their new life. hmm Right? Mm-hmm. Adding the final panel of the, like Shantstone on fire yeah shantytown is on fire and
1: it says far from the horrors of shantytown what is great about that is again Wagner and Grant are pointing out the horrors of shantytown in that panel that they're talking about is literally the occupation of the judges you know it's not the early panels of the the Criminals like lying around and being rolled around in wheelbarrows because nothing
0: was on fire back then, you know. Well, I it, see. I, I took I took that to be like Shantstown was burning as they walked away, as opposed yes. to it was a flashback scene. No, no, no. It's you not know, a flashback so it, scene. But it, it, no, no, no. But no but it exactly. Is, it, I think the horrors of Shanty is purposefully vague. Yes, exactly,
1: pretty- because it is. It's because it's kind of
0: both. Again, in that yeah, layered exactly, way. Exactly. Yeah. It is, it is very much like things were shitty for those people before the judges got there. Things did not improve when exactly. the judges got there. Exactly.
1: Things were shitty when it was afterwards and that's precisely what they're referring to. So yeah, that's my thing is it's a qualified happy ending because otherwise all the good people in that town would have had the EC level of punishment, you know – that, that easy level of punishment would have been something that would have been, uh, they got what they deserved instead of, uh, oh, Jesus, these poor people didn't deserve this. You know what I mean? And so anyway, it knocked me on my ass. And really the rest of the volume, I'm, I'm running around with some, some very definite feels and a lot of relief about. But yeah, no, but at the same time, <laughs> it's still incredibly grim. Incredibly grim stuff, but it's not—it's not the flat-out nightmarishness to me of, you know, oh yeah, I'm going to Graham and I are now going to be reading another thirty volumes of, you know, unintentional fascism of oh, fascistville know? Yeah, exactly, I, like Fascistville.
0: I, I should say very quickly. I don't know if you read the comments from last rock on on the website. There's a a good discussion about whether Dredd is a fascist or whether it's a fascistic strip. Oh, wow. You know, it's funny. I
1: dropped in at one point, but because I don't get the comment notifications, I think I'm behind. I should go back and check that yeah,
0: out. Yeah, I recommend everyone do this. And yeah. I'm sure this episode will provoke more of this discussion. Yeah. Um, but no, it, it's – it's this. It's, so it's funny because I I agree with everything you're saying. Oh, I don't agree with it. I get the depth of everything you're saying right but shantown seems no more horrific to me than other moments in this book things like the mandatory the announcement that everyone has mandatory labor right in the wake of uh the the apocalypse war and then very soon after you see that within months the new grand hall of justice has been built right. and has been unveiled right like, there's something really grim to me about that. Oh, there is. Oh, the, we could... You know, it's like it's like the idea that the judges essentially impose martial law after the Apocalypse War mm-hmm. and then never give it up. Yeah. Did not, like, escape me, you know? Because yes. in so much of this, they are just overreaching, astonishingly. So,
1: don't get me wrong. Shantytown, for me, is... The part that's grim about it, like you said, the book is filled with grim moments. It's just most of those grim moments are they happen at points. They're,
0: they're science
1: fiction grim, as opposed to actually, it's just today, more but... that that it's it's the those are moments where I'm happen that are happening where Wagner and Grant give you the benefit of the doubt, where where it's where I have confidence that Wagner and Grant sort of know what they're doing you know in the sense of they're showing us the their ambiguity their ambivalence about it you know shanty town the part that really bothers me is the level at which things are presented to to me the the part that is grim is really the idea that that wagner and grant believe it you know That they believe that the judges are the best solution for a bad problem, you know, in a way that's like, or that they want to convince you until, like I said, except for that one page in the beginning and then at the very end. And to me, that's super important because without those pages, it becomes a story where hmm, we have... (laughs) We have problems with, uh, for lack of a better term, I don't know, like fascistic um, sympathy within the comic book industry. Like you get dudes, you get someone like Steve Ditko, who's an absolute genius. And by the time you get to something like Mr. A, you're like, something's not right here. Frank Miller, who I think did was an exemplary, extraordinary, and incredibly thoughtful cartoonist in the 80s, ends up being, you know, a, a, a whole lot of yikes by the time Holy Terror comes out. You know what I mean? There's There's levels at which creators lose the plot, that the ambiguity in which they... that they walk the line with of like, oh yeah, hey, so So for example, Miller, Frank Miller in The Dark Knight Returns has a a page of Batman riding a horse that is just straight out 110% taken from D.W. Griffith's Birth of a Nation, right? And the, the, Miller of that time, when you are there watching it sort of happen, you're like, oh, cool. Frank Miller is aware of the inherent fascistic tendencies of the masked vigilante narrative. The masked vigilante narrative running all the way back to this incredibly racist movie that made heroes out of the Ku Klux Klan, another bunch of masked vigilantes. Like, Miller is showing a degree of um, that sort of same ambiguity that you see in Wagner and Grant, so someone like me wants to think. By the time you get to Holy Terror, you're like, or maybe Miller is more of a racist than he's really fucking aware of. And his sort of, oh, ha, ha look at me... I don't take this too seriously is a way of letting himself off the hook for needing the fascism and the f- inherent in the masked white vigilante right and so so for me it's not entirely fair but there's a lot with dread where even though I should know better Part way through volume six, again, very influenced on what's going on in the fucking world today, there is a little bit of, but have Wagner and Grant lost the plot? Like, or is, even in that sort of way with the League of fatties, fatties, is there a tendency toward cruelty and fascism? Like, kind of like, is there an isn't is isn't kind of thing with dread where it's like dread is a fascist but we're not fascist because we know dread's a fascist but we are a fascist you know what i well, mean and i really feel that you know like you said the ambiguity that goes through judge dread is there's lots of things where there's a very implicit critique of the judges throughout up to this point but for me there's also a little bit of uh and yet, dot, 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 you know.
0: I feel that we have earlier, maybe in the second episode,
1: mm-hmm.
0: touched on the idea that Wagner might be more, uh, maybe not in favor of the judges, but believe there is, they serve a purpose. Yes. Um, than than many. And, and honestly, I think much more than, than Grant. I mm-hmm. think Grant is, is much more explicit in his rejection of what the judges stand for. Right. And I think that actually is an important part of the tension of dread as a strip. Yes. I think Wagner being aware of the inherent fascism mm-hmm. of the system that the judges offer. And yet unable to reject it. Yes. Is is a very important part of the dread DNA. Right. You know? I, I and I think later writers deal with that tension in very different ways. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of them ignore it entirely. Right. Um, I think a lot of them are, you know, Rob Williams in The Small House, like, outright has just Smiley tell Dredd that they're fascists. Mm-hmm. Like, in, in text. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're able to do that now because Dread is a different character? Mm-hmm. And so Dredd, who, again, is a character who believes in the system, mm-hmm. honestly, I think, does not trust the system anymore. And uh, was raised in the system and believes in the, what the system stands for in theory, right. but does not believe that the system actually represents that.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And so you have a different type of tension. Um, and honestly, in some ways, Dredd now may represent Wagner. Mm -hmm. In a more direct way because of that. Yes. But you also have, and I think this is volume six is flaw. Flaw is not the right word. Um, It's a kid's comic still. Yes. You know? Right. So you can never fully address any of this. right? (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like you you can't. You can't actually come out. And – we're maybe a hundred issues or so away from a letter from a Democrat, mm. you know, which is the first time where like this comes anywhere close to being text.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: you know I mean don't forget the fungus story here talks about mega like one's mayor mm-hmm. still, so right. democracy still exists
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know, right. even though, as I said this the subtext of this volume is the judges have imposed martial law and are just like taking more and more and more and more power throughout and it's never commented on. That's right. And honestly I think if I was reading this on a weekly basis I wouldn't have noticed. Right. It's it's because I read this in you know two sittings. Yeah. And I was like wait this is another time where they've literally just been like this is a problem we'll just lock them away in their own houses Mm -hmm. or this is a problem we'll send them to the farm upstate Mm -hmm. or this is a problem we'll just create a new law
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. you know like they don't deal with any problem Right. They just, you know, rename it and outlaw it or, you know, it, it's it's – they've stopped being cops for all intents and purposes. Mm-hmm. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Right. They're, they're, they're doing something else.
1: Well, because I think that is the – the like you said, the idea that, that Wagner has a – is closer to seeing the need for the judges is – he's he's aware of the fascistic concept behind them, but he is also incredibly and in many cases hilariously cynical about human nature and that's that's kind of what it boils down to. I think that's part of why the character why the population of mega city one becomes dumber and dumber and more and more ridiculous and and more easy to fool and be taken to absurd levels. But the flip side of that is the judges themselves being human are themselves. I I can't help but feel part of what the judges do is they reflect what our government does, right? Like so frequently, this is, this is back in the eighties and back in the nineties where our governments dealt with problems the same. We didn't, we didn't abolish poverty. We just figured out different ways to push it out of sight or sweep it under the rug. Exactly the same way that these ailments are handled in this volume, right? So, you know, there. I think there is uh, one of the things that I think is interesting in a, a potentially metatextual level is, like you said, it's a kids' comic. It's Judge Dredd. He's the hero. That's only that stasis also represents the way the stasis that American and British democracies operate in, where literally we are seeing people cry out to their elected officials, you know, we need this, you know? And the officials are like, so one or two people have said blah, blah, blah. You know, there's such a, like, we can't even overturn the apple cart, For the better. And similarly, with the judges, like you said, there's 9 million things that they could do to solve a problem, but they don't. And part of that is um, I think Wagner and Grant are super aware of that, and that it is a problem with the judges that they don't ultimately, for all of their posturing, They're ultimately still just about supporting a status quo, you know, and even when that status, the status quo more or less gets destroyed in the apocalypse war. And the judges, unsurprisingly, have absolutely no idea how to undo that or rebuild that. You know, they're just like, okay, let's just get back to returning to the status quo. Exactly. That's that's what they do.
0: Yeah. The status quo is, is destroyed and their response is to continue the status quo. Yeah. We'll just rebuild all that shit. Yep. We'll just keep going. Right.
1: And so similarly when there are serious problems if they if they affect the status quo, then they have to be abolished or removed or, you know. And it's yeah, it's it's I don't know. It's kind of a fucker. This this volume to me is incredibly deceptive because I started off like I said at the beginning of the episode being like, this is the first one that I said, like, oh, I was going to say take a pass on. And for me, I I feel like Volume 6 is is almost an essential volume, that 5 and 6 are potentially Rosetta Stones for being oh, it, it's, able to it's understand.
0: It's weird, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's genuinely strange because taken in one view, Volume 6 is entirely skippable. Yeah, you know, you've got Destiny's Angels, you've got Shantytown, arguably the the Smith Wagner one shots mm-hmm. that are f- like very short comedy versions of the crime rackets in the previous volume. Right, but none of it feels foundational, really. Right, but at the same time, taken as a whole, there it does feel foundational. Yeah, you know, taken as a whole, there's there's something there that feels as important as apocalypse war.
1: Oh yeah. I think in, in a way, yes, as much, if not more so, because taken hand in hand with the apocalypse war, it, it answers all these questions of, for me of what is, what is judge dread about? Like, and what, what really do the creators think and feel about dread? And the answer is really complex and a little murky, and still is, could be me really deeply, deeply fooling myself. But the fact of the matter is, six is so substantially such a big, consistent chunk of inconsistency <laughs> that following on the heels of five, it, it again, it, feel, it feels like you said, foundational, fundamental um to to understanding dread in in a in i assume where the character develops from here and essentially understanding the strip for people for people like me who could never quite understand why dread would be serious serious goofy 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 serious serious really fucking dark and then goofy again Like, I just kind of thought, like, oh, that's kind of a thing. And when you start out with the weekly, you know, like, that's how people like their Judge Dredd. And when you start out with a weekly comic, it's like, sure, it's going to be Slapdash. And to me, five and six are people being like, no, don't make any mistake. All of this is intentional. This is, we're doing this on purpose for any number of reasons. First and foremost is to keep you entertained. So kind of amazing that way.
0: I feel that six is also gets us into a groove where I feel like after five and six, mm-hmm. you know, we talked about the idea that this, these are the, the volumes where they're like, you know, dread is whatever we fucking want. Right. Like Wagner and Grant are very clearly dread is whatever we want. Mm-hmm. And dread is going to continually confound your expectations. Right. I also think that after you finish five and six, you can't really be surprised by dread anymore. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. I think because that's- because you. You've seen so many flavors, yeah. That I don't like. I think, no matter what is to come, mm-hmm. you you'll you'll be okay with it. Do you know what I mean? Like you're yes. like, well, dread's done everything else, yeah. So why can't I do this? Yeah, completely,
1: completely. Yep, yeah. The only thing that would surprise me would be a romance strip, but who knows? You know, I can't rule it out either at this point.
0: So. Who who would he be romantic with? Well, see, that's it. I mean, just like it just. Oh. I, I we we didn't talk about it, but the executioner uh, mm-hmm. story in here, uh, I love. I think it's really fun. I think it's a, the most noir. Yes, very uh, much so, and, and very purposefully so. Yeah, you know, very 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 purposely. It it feels like they're they're trying to pattern after noir, but um, that character, I mm-hmm. feel in like in other writers' hands. A would not have died at the end, and B would have become some sort of a Catwoman-esque foil for Dread. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no.
1: There, there's very much again in the way that they do things. They bring this character in for a variety of different reasons, and then it's done. and And I know this is something that, for example, say Garth Ennis has talked about. Uh, but really, one of the strengths of Dread is its continuing interest in creating new new bad guys and then getting rid of them and it manages to kind of help keep a level of freshness going to things it's funny that what i thought you were going to say is the executioner also has one of the most hilarious parts in this volume and it's a is
0: that, is that the when dreads convinced it's going to be one particular touch and it's not
1: uh no it's the part where the guy's explaining why it's a copycat killing it's like point one, victims were small time local bully boys, not exactly in the Jack Beauty Herbie Swarf League. Point two, handwriting on the killer's calling card doesn't match the executioners. And you see the card and it says justice is done and done is just every word is misspelled except for is. But then after the page turn, point three, and I gotta admit this is the clincher, the purpose male. And Tourette says, why didn't you just start with point three? Which is so fucking funny to me. Like that is hilarious. That that that. Not only do they go to this whole length to set up this stupid joke and build to the jokes, but the fact that Dred's reaction is like, "Why did you even waste my time with this?" is really fucking funny.
0: Like, and we, we're we're horribly over. But that like leads me to say something really quickly. There's an amount of like self-awareness and self-parody in this volume as well. Mm-hmm. You get the game show, game, yes, yes, which you know is calling themselves out because they've done a game show plot twice. Yeah, but has characters comment on Dread doesn't make jokes? as he's making jokes? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: Like they really are self-aware in this volume.
1: Yeah, very, very, very much so. So it's. Yeah, it's, uh, in that sense, it really ends up, it's the, I'm, I'm, you know, I feel like it's never an episode of Drak without a little bit of literary overreaching from me, Graham. So I'm going to say this is the most uh, Nabokovian uh, volume of Judge Dread the complete case files we've read yet, you know, because similar to the way that uh, Vladimir Nabokov would constructs his novels to... Um, tease you and play with you and thwart your expectations at a subtextual level, that's very much what's going on here
0: in Volume 6. And once I realized it, I dug it. I feel, again, if we if anyone at Rebellion is listening to these, Jeff's just giving you another full quote. <laughs> if you ever want to promote Volume 6 in particular. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they'll be like, yeah, we're going to put that on there. This wow. is when I tell you, everyone, um, <laughs> that if you're going Sunday, Diego Comic-Con, I'm doing the Dread panel on oh, Thursday. Oh, yeah. Holy shit. That's amazing. I think it's Thursday. Maybe. No, it is. It's Thursday. Wow. Because I'm doing a panel on Thursday and I'm doing a panel on Friday, but I'm doing the Dread panel on Thursday. Wow. Um, so if you're there, uh, come to the Dread panel. It, it'll be fun, right? <laughs> uh, and I'll tell the people at Rebellion, I'll be like, hey. Jeff keeps giving you great pool quotes. Yeah, you just got to listen for them. I'm sure they'll be like, "Huh."
1: Yeah, Graham, I'm not sure if you know what "great" means. <laughs> wow, so that's that's exciting news. I have to say, part of me wishes that I was there. Um, part of me wishes you were there too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would, I would, I would love to see it. But yeah, I definitely feel like I'm like,
0: yes. <laughs> Let me. I run... don't want to go to Comic Con ever again. No,
1: I totally don't. But I'm also part of me where it's like I have read six volumes of the complete case files. I clearly know everything about Dread. Let me host that panel. I mean, that's what I'm saying
0: is that that part's ridiculous. But all I'm saying is, Jeff, you and I are going to do a live Dread panel at some point. I think
1: it's true. I, I have to believe that that is going to
0: happen. We really are. Just wait. Yeah, it'll it'll be amazing. Everyone. <laughs> Everyone, it, when we do this, uh, you all have to come in and support us. Yep. And then really quiet because I get really bad in panels. So just, yeah, just just be very supportive for Jeff. And, uh, very, very, very have <laughs> like, been like, fine like, in for- all
1: the panels that I've seen, Graham. Oh, God. Oh, I just stress, Jeff. I know you stress, I but you don't stress. actually evince it in any way. You are, as always, utterly, utterly charming and interesting
0: so yeah god damn it that's so what jeff's saying is everyone who's in san diego go and see the dread panel that's i right. I, I, yeah, I genuinely don't know who else is on the panel oh so i can't god. be like don't come for me come for so and so i genuinely don't know who else.
1: <laughs> you should just start I, making up names i will like,
0: say yeah. that um you probably like everyone else is probably going to be better than me but i, I don't know who else is on the panel you don't so know they... could be
1: worse could be worse yeah it's, so
0: no i I've, I've done i've i've done as in i've watched dread panels in the past mm-hmm. uh they're normally genuinely great i'm going to be horrifically outclassed mm. but nonetheless people are in san Diego. come to that panel it's thursday at 12 i think mm-hmm. um i I I could check, but I'm not going to. If you're yeah. in San Diego, you'll you'll know when everything is. Put, put um, it and in if, the show notes. Won't you
1: know? Can't you look it up in the
0: um, And I will also for people who are San Diego as well. There's a Blade Runner 2019 panel based on the Titan Comics the next day, and I'm moderating that. So you should come to that one too. Wow. That yeah. Me and the screenwriter of Blade Runner 2049 are going to be talking about Titan's new Blade Runner comic. Wow! Holy smokes! Is he writing it? Yep. Ah, interesting. interesting. Yeah. Jeff just mentioned the show notes, which is my segue into saying that uh, there will be show notes for this episode up at WaitWhatPodcasts dot uh, on Monday at some point. I'm I always put the some point in there because it will happen before the end of Monday, but that's utterly dependent on like what else is happening in the world and my work at that point. Yep. Let's realistically say it'll be up by Monday evening.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm shrugging. I'm doing the shrug <laughs> emoji. Not- <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, while you're waiting for that, you can also check us out on Tumblr, WeightWattPods.tumblr.com, on Instagram, Instagram.com forward slash WeightWattPod, and on Twitter at WeightWattPodcast. Jeff is on Twitter solo, at LazyBastid, at am on Twitter solo, at GrahamM, at G R A E M E M. And Drock exists as a thing, as an entity, as an audio listening pleasure because of Patreon. Jeff, take it away. I will. Everyone. Yeah, you guys are
1: great. Um, I I am so far in over my head when it comes to Judge Stredd, as you've just heard, and I am loving it. And as Graham points out, that is precisely because I am on this adventure as a stretch goal that we started when we did Patreon. which is all just a way to say that we are incredibly grateful for all of our listeners for continuing to provoke and inspire and uh, support us. And the people on uh, Patreon are super supportive because they do all that and throw us a little bit of um, mega creds our way to um, as, as a form of thanks. And that is uh, allows us the, the to get all fired up and, run in and spend spend ridiculous amounts of time talking about some classic amazing stories like this, as well as what we discuss just about every other week on our regular Wait what podcast. So to all of our listeners, to our patrons, uh, especially including Empress Audrey, queen of the galaxy. We are super grateful for continuing support of this podcast and, uh, this section of the Cosmos, but really, seriously, we are uh, truly, truly grateful, and thank you all.
0: Graham? We will be back with your regular Wait Watt in two weeks, because right. next week San Diego Comic-Con. And Ooh. We tried one year to do a San Diego Wait Watt, and it did not work out. Yeah. And so, we're never going to make that mistake again. <laughs> <laughs> yep. No. And so we're going to be doing it in two weeks instead. At which point jeff will uh, be able to ask me have i survived yes exactly and if i haven't it's going to make for a really weird podcast because who or what is going to respond i will be talking to a ghost yes mm-hmm.
1: but since i'm the one who sings this out i will say you know until next time Drock, you're under arrest report to the Iso Cubes, and we'll see you next time